We do not preach the uh, message called Lordship Salvation because to teach salvation by making Jesus Christ the Lord and the master of your life is a commitment for your service to the Lord for your life. That is not the same as trusting him for salvation. That is your promise or commitment to serve God. So we do not believe that you have to make any promises or pledges, commitments of any kind as a prerequisite for God saving you so that if you perform good enough, God will give you eternal life and you get to go to heaven when you die. And that you'd have to wait until you're finished with your life to find out if you have performed well enough. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not good news. That is bad news. So we teach very simply that you're saved by grace. Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's who he is. He is the Savior. Now, it doesn't mean he's your Savior. doesn't mean he is your Lord, but he is the Lord. That's who he is. Uh, you may not trust him as Savior, and you may not serve him as Lord. But that doesn't change the fact he's still God, and he's still Master, and he's still Lord, and he's still Savior. He's still God. Look there in Luke chapter 2, and notice what it says in verse 11. We often use this verse only at Christmas time because Jesus was born on Christmas Day, December the 25th. Well, I don't know when he was born. I really don't care when. I just know he was, and I believe that. And so I... Um, I don't mind celebrating the birthday of Christ. That has no problem with me. And I don't care if other people celebrate the birthday of Christ. That's not a problem for me. I wish they'd just celebrate it every day. Celebrate his resurrection every day. Celebrate his command every day. Then I think we'd have enough to do. But here in the book of Luke in chapter 2, look in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a trailblazer, a wayshore similar to Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone. Is that what your Bible says? No. Born this day in the city of David, a Savior. Who is the Savior? Christ the Lord. That's who he is. That's his title. That's Jesus Christ. And he is the Lord. He is the Savior. And uh, we need to understand that. So now, now, once you have trusted Christ as Savior, there's some things that would be helpful to know. If you look there in your notes talking about the lordship of Christ. Now, some of these things I have hit off and on at different times, but I wanted to make sure you had a paper that had all of it on there because I want to add a few things to it also, and so you may want to write a few things down. Well, we have the little statement there, he has ultimate power. Look in Matthew in chapter 28. Now, Matthew 28 is not written down in your notes there, but you can write it down. It won't hurt you none. I don't mind if you scribble on that piece of paper although it is of great value. Someday it might be worth something. I think this is probably three cents paper. Someday it'd be worth five cents. But look there in Matthew chapter 28, and look in verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, see these next two words? All power is given unto me. All power. So he has the authority, the ultimate power. Now, the reason some of these things we want to look at is so important because God asked you to serve him. Jesus Christ 
died on the cross, paid for your sins, came back from the dead and says, follow me. Well, just who are you? What can you do for me? We always want to know, well, what can you do for me? Well, the more you know about him, the more you're willing to trust him for. A lot of people go through life and never pray to the Lord to do great things for them. Now, if you follow with what I'm saying tonight on some of these things where you have definite proof that he can do anything, he has great power, then you think, what in the world could he do for me? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he also says, all things are possible with God. He also says, call upon me and see if I will not show you great and wonderful things that you don't even see. You can't even imagine. Maybe we cut ourselves short. Maybe we think he's just like us. Maybe I have good reason to worry. Maybe I have good reason to be afraid. After all, what can he do about it? So we limit God by our own limited thinking. We resist him and don't trust him in areas of our life that we should trust him. Look at the second statement there. He is a final authority, final authority. When he gives a command, then there's no other command above his. There's no authority over him. But take your Bible and turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. And look there in verse 22. John chapter 5 and verse 22. Chapter helps a little bit, doesn't it? Very good. John chapter 5 and look in verse 22. And he says in verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now, of course, I marvel at this verse whenever I read over there in the book of Revelation where it says the great white throne judgment. And who is going to be that judge? Well, it, it could just happen to be the Son. Now, I'm just saying there's a possibility. Now, it's important because we want somebody to judge us who is one of our peers. <laughs> well, we're not on the same peer line as Jesus Christ. But he was a man, and he knows what it's like to live in this world. Uh, he was born here, and uh, he lived here, and he was a poor man. So uh, you might not have been any poorer than what he was. He says he doesn't have a place to lay his head. But look what he says in it, verse 22. But the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now, a couple other verses. I want you to look down in verse 26. Verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man, because of who he is, and because of what he's done, God hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. This is the one that's going to judge us, says in the book of uh, Acts in chapter 17. So there's some wonderful verses that lets us know Jesus has all power. He has the authority. The next statement I have here is the source of all power, life, and laws. He's the source. This God that we serve that we know about and we read the Bible and we study and he kind of lets us in on a few little things about himself. Now, he does it for a reason. Just like some of the miracles that he did. Now, he did miracles and every gospel talks about some of these miracles, but in the gospel of John, 
there's specific miracles that are put there to cause us to believe that Jesus is really the Son of God and that by believing we may have life through his name. So there's reasons why God has done what he has done. There's a little black, bold statement that I got right in the middle. The following demonstrations of miracles reveal his power to suspend all natural laws. Because God is the God of nature. We often have in the preamble of the Constitution that nature's God. Well, that's God. And God made laws. And these laws work. And they're natural laws. Laws of nature. That's why when we talk about we have a sinful nature, and it is natural for our sinful nature to want its own way. It is a natural rebellious thing that we have within us. But if Jesus can do these things, just think what he can do for you. Now, so we want to break it down and show you where he has power over everything. Now, I'll admit to you right off the bat, there's one thing of all of these things listed down through here. Look at number one is salvation, demon world, disease, elements, nature, animal world, death, and life. All these things are in subjection to God. They're all in subjection to him. In other words, he can command and make everything submit to his authority. Or he can just let it go and nature will take its course. But he has the power to suspend these natural laws. We would call those a miracle. In other words, if I was to take my pen and let go of it, that was not a miracle. Now, if I had let it go and it stayed there, that would have been a miracle. Because, you see, I would have to suspend the natural law. The law of gravity that pulls it down. God says he's the one that is in charge of all of our laws, these natural laws. But there's one thing that you do not find listed here, and that's man. I left him out for a reason. Why would I leave him out for a reason? What would that reason be? Every one of these things... From demon world, disease, and element. All of these are at the mercy of the Lord who can suspend any one of these things and can do so. But he doesn't override the will of man. You see, it's you and I that must voluntarily choose to submit to his authority. God does not make you submit. Now, one day, he says, all are going to bow the knee and so forth. We're going to admit, yes, we are. But living in, on this side of the grave in this world, you can choose to be as rebellious as you want to be. You can go and be as wicked as you want to be. And you can live your life where the Lord is not master over your life. But does that mean he has no control of anything? No, he can control a lot of things. But he'll allow you to make choices and decisions in your life, which means he has the freedom, the liberty to determine the consequences that happens in your life. And he can take you home or he can allow all kinds of things to happen, which we won't get into tonight. So there is something missing here, and that's you and me. I want you to take your Bible and look in Ephesians in chapter 3, the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. It's a simple verse. Most of you know the verse. 
But he makes a statement in chapter 3 and verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. See, part of our family is in heaven, and part of our family is on earth. He said that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his power in the inner man. Talking to his children, those who trusted Christ as Savior, you're in the family of God. He says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love. Now, it is the will of God that all of his children be rooted and grounded in the word of God. In other words, know the scriptures well. Know what you believe, why you believe it. And the majority of Christians, I don't believe, know that. They may trust Christ as Savior, and then they learn a little Sunday school lesson here and there, and they know a few little stories in the Bible, David and Goliath, and, you know, Daniel and the Lion's Den, and that. They know a few stories, but they don't know the Bible. Because when you know the Bible, and you really know it, it'll change your life. And you don't know the Bible until the Bible controls your life. So look what he says here. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, when he's talking about you learning and growing and knowing this and so on, all these wonderful things, it's about loving God the way God's supposed to be loved and loving others the way they're supposed to be loved. Those two things, God says, all the law is fulfilled in one word, in love. And that's the hardest thing we have to deal with. Do you know it would be wonderful if the politicians all talked about how we should love one another? And right now they try to spew as much hate as they possibly can against each other. Look in verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do. You see, Christ was here, did all those miracles. And you find out many of the things that he did in the Old Testament. But he didn't do it all the time for everybody. There were just certain times. But here he's got a verse for God's children who are living on planet earth. And this is after those times. And he says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Then he says in verse 21, unto him be glory in the church. So what he wants to do in verse 20 is to those that are in the church, which is the family of God. We are the ones that he's talking about you have not seen, you haven't thought about all the things that God can do for you and through you if you only knew, if you'd only trust. So that's why I want these things to make a, a difference in your life. You see there, number one, we talk about salvation. He is Lord of salvation. In other words, he has the authority and he has the power to save whosoever believeth in him. He that believeth in him hath everlasting life. The very moment that you believe, he has that power. That's why it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And then in John 1, 12, but as many as uh, believe on him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. There is power and authority that's given there for you and I to know whenever we trust Christ as our Savior, he, the one we're trusting, has the power to save us. And he saves us from something to something. He can save us forever and ever. And he has the power, as he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
and verse 4 and 5, that you're kept by the power of God. He has the power to save us. He has the power to keep you saved. You didn't have power to save yourself, and you don't have power to keep yourself saved. But he does because that's who he is, and that's what he does. And whenever they said, no, the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he is. That's not a commitment to serve. That is a decision to trust him as your Savior. And trusting him to save me is a lot of different than me promising how I'm going to live. After we trusted Christ as our Savior, yes, we should serve the Lord. Nobody should have a problem with that. Now, I want you to look there in the book of Mark chapter 5. The book of Mark. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Mark and chapter 5. There's several things that are mentioned in the fifth chapter, about three different things, miracles that were given, but I'm not going to cover all of them, just maybe a couple of them. But in chapter 5 of the book of Mark, remember, Jesus has the power over the demon world. And there's an illustration of what he did. You see there in verse 1 of chapter 5, and there came over unto the other side, they came over to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, day and night, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. It's amazing what the devil can do to you, little old demons. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. These are demons that are living inside of a man. He said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? He answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. So they besought him to go into the swine. And so they went into the swine. And the swine, well, I guess you could find out where devil's ham came from. They all ran into the sea and drowned, a couple thousand of them. But they went looking for the, uh, the man, and it says in verse 15, And they came to see Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Isn't that good? He was naked before, now he's clothed and in his right mind. I still question people who want to run around naked. I don't think you're in the right mind. But they said this, down in verse 19. He said, I want to go with you. Jesus says, how be it? Jesus permitted him not, suffered him not. But said to them, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things thee. And you ought to underline that one little word. The Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. You go back and tell your friends. You know the best people to reach for the Lord is right after you trust Christ as Savior is your family. Go reach your family. That's the first thing I had on my mind. I didn't care about the world. I'm going to reach my mom and my dad, my brothers, and my sisters, and everybody that I knew like that. I wanted them to have eternal life. But he has this power. Also, you'll notice there's another one that's mentioned here. He has also power over disease. See there in verse 25? And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years 
and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better. That sounds like Obamacare, don't it? Well, I'm not, I shouldn't have said that. I, I, no, I just, let me erase that. <laughs> this is similar to doctors today. You go to the doctors and pay all that money, and then they experiment on you. Well, try this. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, well, try this. Oh, that didn't work. Well, let's try this. It's like a let's try and see game. And if you take this medicine, you'll get well in two weeks. And if you don't, it's going to take 14 days. And you wonder, what am I spending all this money for? What, don't you think you ought to go to the doctor and the doctor, you know, he went to school. Tell me what's wrong with me. Well, first of all, tell me all of your symptoms. Hmm, never heard that before. <laughs> and let, let's try a little of this and a little of that and a little of this. And it doesn't matter how much money you have to spend. It ain't costing him anything. And then you pay him if it doesn't work. I got an idea. Next time you go outside, you look on the back of my car and you'll say, has Dr. Yang, you come see me. I'll say, take these two verses, call me tomorrow. That'll be $50, please. <laughs> Maybe you'd think it'll work if I, you know, charge you for it. You know, it's got to be worth something. But she had spent it all. And when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. And she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about and to the press. Who touched my clothes? And his, now I can't tell when somebody touched my clothes. I mean, unless they hit me, you know, or something like that, or really not me. But says, who touched me? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? She touched him with faith. She touched him by her faith. She believed something. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be well. And she did. And so the Lord says, go in peace, in verse 34. Now, it's wonderful to know that Jesus has that kind of power. But see, whenever we talk about some of the problems that we have and You'd be surprised how many people can get sick, and we get sick. People get sick all the time. But let me ask you this. Is the doctor the first one you think of, the prescription, the medicine, the hospital, or is, is the Lord the last thing you think of? Think of the Lord first and go to the Lord and ask the Lord to do some things, to intervene. You, you'd be surprised. Does he have the power? to? Is he able to do it? We say we believe in a miracle-working God. Well, he is a miracle-working God. My salvation is a miracle because it could not have been done by the flesh. I could not produce it. But God can do a miracle, and he already did. So if he can do that miracle, maybe there's a few more he can do in my life. Look up here. This end represent you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us, but God, he loves us, but he hates our sin. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in a literal fire burning hell. We all need to be saved from hell. But you see, we can't go to heaven because of sin. So we got to get rid of sin. Well, you got to pay for that. So everybody's condemned. And God says you cannot save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. 
hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And he said if we would believe that he did it for us, he'd put that payment that he made to our account, give us as a free gift everlasting life, and we get to go to heaven on what he did for us. He said, whosoever believes hath everlasting life. So does he have the authority, the power to do what he promised that he would do? If you trust him as the Savior, can he save you? And does he give you eternal life? Does he keep his word? You don't have any reason to fear. And if you can trust the Lord for the gift of eternal life to keep you out of hell, take you to heaven, in this short period of life that we have, can't you trust him in every other area? You can, but I'll speak on that Wednesday night. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I know that most of you here have seen you so many times. I know that you heard me speak and give the gospel, but I really don't know inwardly if you have really ever trusted Christ as Savior. I pray so. But if you're watching also by Internet, right on the screen says, Yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. If you've never done so, I pray that you would do it right now. And if you trust him right now, he saves you right now and gives you eternal life. And you can take him at his word. He keeps his word. But if you're here in the auditorium tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him right now? You know, a person being fooled to turn down a free gift, there's no gimmick to this, no tricks to it. God knows who you are, knows where you are, and he loves you, and he wants to give you eternal life. Would you accept it? Would you accept the free gift of eternal life? He walked right up to you, right where you're sitting, in that pew, and offered you eternal life as a gift. Would you accept it, or would you reject it? I pray that you'd accept it. And if you will accept it, I'd like to know, and I'd like to have prayer for you. Not going to have you stand up, not going to embarrass you, not going to have you forward. But right where you're sitting, I'd like to know if what I've said made sense. And you say, Preacher, that made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior tonight. Would you just let me know by slipping your hand up real quick and put it right back down? Is there anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you again now for your blessings. Thank you for what you've taught us in your word. And help us to know that you're not just somebody who can save us from hell and give us eternal life. You have all power. You have the authority, and you promise in your word what you can, you can do for us. And help us to have confidence in you, to walk with you and to trust you, and not to be afraid. In Christ's name we pray, amen.